This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Calgary Flames game day from the Scotiabank Saddledome. The Flames and the LA Kings on this Tuesday night. This is Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon along with you. Busy show coming your way as we get you set for the final of the three-game homestand here for the Calgary Flames this week. Of course, lots of talk with Matthew Coronado officially in town for his first practice as a member of the Calgary Flames. Tuesday also means our regular check-in with Sportsnet 650's Bick Nazar. So stay tuned for that. Plus, we will hear from young Matthew Coronado, his first media availability, first general media availability of the year. Plus, Mackenzie Weger and Daryl Sutter also speaking to the media on a game day. So lots to get to. On this Tuesday edition of Sportsnet Today, we're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in beautiful Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Let's kick things off like we always do. Head down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline and say hello to the color voice of the Calgary Flames. He is Peter Labardius, and he's brought to you every single day by our friends at the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. They're now offering air miles, reward miles. You visit them at the Gemini Group.ca. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you, sir? I am uh, awesome, Logan. Uh, it's spring break in the children's calendar, so my son, Kale, came down with his friend to the morning skate today, showed him around a little bit. Um, Daryl was very, very kind to uh, both of them and allowed um, them to be in the room when I did my interview, so, and the coaches avail so always uh, a neat opportunity for for a dad and uh, I don't get it all that often so it was uh, fantastic that's uh, it's great to hear always uh, adds to the day no doubt uh, for yourself but we got an exciting one tonight uh, Flames and the Kings and a chance for uh, Calgary to erase some bad memories after a bad loss last week against this LA team Lou but if you're the Calgary Flames, you can't really focus on what happened last week. You've got to be focused on your opponent and what you need to do tonight, correct? Well, you, you're correct. And you don't want to be focused on what you did in the last game because it wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, again, that was that was a game that you got your eraser out very quickly. This is the hottest team in the National Hockey League since the All-Star break. Um, they are really, really a group that's come into its own. I like this team a lot. I love how they're coached. Uh, their goaltending has been good enough, and they added to, you know, Phoenix Copley. Who would have ever thought, Logan, he would have manufactured 23 wins when the season started. He wasn't even in the picture. Nope. And so it looks like Cor- Corpus is going to go tonight. Um, they have Fiala back. 
scored eight even without him against the Flames <laughs> last week. So this is this is a daunting task, a good one to play against a team that has not lost in regulation in the month of March. Yeah, they've been pretty unbelievable going back to the All-Star uh, break. We one of the hottest teams in the NHL and uh, looking to prove that last year was no fluke for them and they look well poised to uh, do some damage and maybe even get home ice advantage heading into round one of the playoffs. This is a, a Kings team growing under Todd McClellan. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, give Rob Blake a lot of credit, their general manager, uh, a deep prospect pool to work with. Quinn Byfield, for an example, the former number two overall pick, two-time Canadian World Junior player, is coming into his own. He's been a regular after starting the year in the American Hockey League with the Ontario Reign. Um, but there's been some really key additions, Logan, in the last couple of years to go along you know, with really their two leaders, and the two leaders are Doughty, who's playing his best hockey maybe in many years, the last two seasons, and even right now, he is on a hot streak, and Kopitar. And so they were able to keep them in the fold, be in a position, and as you know, it hasn't been easy for this group since, you know, their great runs in the early and towards late 2010s. But now the addition of Philip Deneau has made all the difference in the world down the middle. Um, What a great free agent signing he was a couple of summers ago. Victor Arvidsson, um, you know, the addition of Kevin Fiala has really solidified their top six. And, you know, we spoke about this last week going into the game, but you know how I feel about the addition of Vladislav Gavrikov. He has really solidified their top four on defense, plays 20 minutes a night, gives them some more bite and edge back there. Mm -hmm. Um, The top four is just so critical, and I don't think it's a coincidence since he joined their team. There hasn't been a lot of losing, has there? No, there hasn't. And uh, it's funny you mentioned that, too, because the Gavrikov one is one that's probably under the radar for a lot of people, but this was a team that was so desperately in need of a another left-handed shot defenseman back there. And I'll steal your term that you love using, and it works so well for this. It just it slots so well to put a guy like that into that lineup exactly where they needed it, and you know, lo and behold, here we go. They're having success with it once they put that left-hand shot D in there. They needed. They they did need it, and you know, he is really, in many ways, except he probably plays with more bite. He's kind of to LA's defense what Chris Tanev is to Calgary. You know, he's a defense. Defensive defenseman first who plays with bite and gives you 20 minutes a night. And yes, the fact that this group, and even, you know, when you look at their American Hockey League team on defense, people like Helga Granz um, and others, it's, it's, it's weird, but they're very right handed heavy. And you don't see, 
you know, tonight it looks like they're going to go with Walker and Dursey on a third pair. So they're going to have four righties in their lineup tonight. Yeah, it's a problem a lot of teams would love to have, hey, Lou? It sure is. It absolutely is. Now, and what, you know, what's Brant Clark? Brant's a righty, is he not, too? Brant Clark is a righty yeah. as well, absolutely. Yes, yes. <laughs> Funny, funny how that works out. You've been dying for, they're dying for a left-hand shot. Everybody else in the league is trying to to mine out that next right-handed shot defenseman, and here's LA running five of them in a night. Some nights. Um, Flames perspective uh, tonight, Lou. We'll dive into the game a bit, but the the buzz has been uh, all around uh, young Matthew Coronado. He arrived last night. Got into town and uh, has made his first practice with the team today and uh, spent some time with the media availability. We'll hear that later on in the program. But uh, I'm just curious what you've made of, of what you saw in the last little bit from him, what you've heard from him uh, as he's coming to Calgary and is tasked with this next part of his career. Well, I don't have a lot to assess after the morning, um, but I can tell you this. One of my favorite things about covering the National Hockey League, and it would be in the top four or five things that I enjoy the most, is seeing young people look like they're 10 or 11 years of age. Wide-eyed, smiling, um, observed a chat on the ice between him and, and Jacob Pelche, uh, Pelche trying to help him systematically. He's not going to play tonight. I don't think he's going to play here for a little while, but and I don't know if we have a clip yet ready for him, but it's the excitement, Logan. It's, it's, it's a, it, when, when people say it's a dream come true, in this case, you know, this is a, this is a huge step. It's, it's why, what we have to remember, and needless to say, I watch a lot of hockey at a lot of levels. And this is actually for, for parents who are listening. Um, just remember on the way how few players and really, really good players at their respective levels, you know, Western Hockey League players, you know, college players, you have to be an incredibly good player to play even at those levels. And then this is the NHL with, you know, close to the 800 best players on planet earth. So to be even in a morning skate situation, practice, he's, you know, 20 years old, 21 years old. It's an incredible accomplishment. And, and like, I like to use these opportunities sometimes to just, you know, on the weekend when I'm watching U16 double A's or I'm watching, you know, the provincial final in the U18 triple A age group, just remember how special it is to even watch your children play at those levels. Because not a lot of kids who started playing get to. But for Matthew Coronado, wide-eyed, excited as all get out it's fun and had a chance especially with my own two eyes to watch him in a number of games of the world junior 
Um, not this past this past summer. I don't know. There's been a lot of world juniors <laughs> start to run together a little bit, and um, thanks to my son, it's become even more of a special event for me. So I like his responsibility. I like how he shoots the puck. I like his hockey IQ. It's going to take some time. This is not a slam dunk situation, at least certainly not for today. So as I did yesterday, I won't do it today. Um, you know, you really have to manage your expectations, and it's and it's really important because just because a player is a first-round pick doesn't mean that he's ready to play in the NHL, even coming out of, you know, two really excellent seasons at Harvard and a great performance this summer at the World Junior. So keep your expectations in check the best that you can. And do we have a clip of how excited he is? We sure do. Here is uh, Matthew this morning just talking about the excitement level. It's a word he used a lot today, but just the the buzz around him right now uh, since he's arrived in Calgary. Yeah, it's been a little crazy. It's been uh, really exciting. Um, Just hard to explain the feeling being here. Um, Really just grateful for the opportunity. Uh, to come in and be with these guys and, and learn and do all that. Well, the last part of it, as you know, always matters a lot to me. And I find over the years, it's not the be-all and end-all, Logan, because some players are just way more comfortable in those kind of situations than ever, than others, but you can learn a lot. Mm-hmm. And even in that clip right there, that tells me that he's here to learn first and that's really important. And I think that will serve him incredibly well as his Calgary flames adventure really begins. I wanted to ask you this uh, after all the conversation we've had the last 24, 48 hours since his signing Lou in regards to Mm -hmm. the team, I don't know how you'd feel about this, but let me know. Uh, when I ask you here, do you think this might wind up being a good thing for the Flames as a group heading into this game against L.A.? And why I say that is we've talked so much about the one-goal games, the the overtime losses, the pressure that's on this team right now. I wonder if even something like Coronado coming in and taking the spotlight away from this group for a day or two might loosen them up heading into a big game tonight. I don't disagree with you. In fact, I I applaud you for going down that road. I really do. You are looking right now for any possible scenario to create some energy within your group and to get away from – we talk a lot, Logan, about chasing games. We talked about it yesterday. Chasing seasons are miserable, and this team's really been chasing – when you think about it since the middle of November. So it's difficult and it's, it's weighed very heavy. It's been evident in their play. I think personally, it's been evident in their play at home more than anything else. So yes, any new situation where all of a sudden this morning in that room, it's, it's, it's all about Matthew today. It's not, a lot of players having to answer the same kind of questions, whether it's home record, all of it. I think it is helpful. So, yes, yeah, so I think you make a uh, a brilliant point. 
And for uh, one group in particular, Lou, they're going to be tasked with uh, a big challenge tonight to this L.A. team we know, going back to last week, can present a whole lot of problems. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, that was a group that did it without one of their best forwards in Kevin Fiala. And now the Flames head into this game uh, without one of their top defensemen in Chris Tanev. It'll be a challenge again for this L.A. Kings group that comes at you in waves and is finding ways to, to really balance four lines on attack. The Flames will have their hands full with that tonight. It's difficult, Logan. It really is. And he's the glue of that group. He's their best penalty-killing defenseman. He's by far and away their smartest defensive defenseman. Settles everybody in. Everybody just feels, you know, he's like a big security blanket, I think, for a lot of guys. Um, And I asked Daryl today as well, and we'll hear it in just a sec, but, you know, as Daryl referred to in even the media availability, yes, we can talk about what they miss. What isn't talked about enough in a lot of different places and programs is what it means for the rest of your group. The different roles, the extended minutes. So here's Daryl on how they've been doing without him, and then I'll take it after that to kind of, as we like to say, flush it out a little bit more in terms of what it means in a lot of different ways. Here's Daryl on how he feels the team has responded without him. Yeah, I think the top four, you know, when we move Z up, then those four guys play probably four or five more minutes, which tends to, as the schedule or games go along, you can see at the end of shifts or, or next game, you can see a little bit. So, you know, we've tried to, we've tried to get the third pair it, out of that 12 into that, in, into that teen sort of thing. But then, it's, but then uh, you know, they got to defend then too. So it, it can't be any ice for goals against. They're sort of out there, you know, holding the fort for you. So, you know, I think Gibby and, and uh, Troy can, uh, I think Troy's, you know, he's a little, he's a good little competitor is what he is. And I think Gibby's just got to uh, manage the speed of the NHL a little better. That's what it's really about, Logan. It's, it's yes, you're never not going to miss Chris. And they've had to deal with him being out a lot this year. And I, I know for a fact he's never been healthy all year long coming off of the surgeries in the summertime. But, so you take tonight for an example, and here's what I'll throw at you. I, I truly believe, even though Rasmus, even in many ways, has been groomed this year to be in that 24 to 26-minute neighborhood and become more of your true number one defenseman, and he's getting there. He's had a great year. But it puts a lot of onus on nights like tonight on the pairing of Hannafin and Anderson. And they are going to have to give you their best tonight. And it's probably going to be in that 24, 25-minute range. So then, you know, the next pairing is Zadorov and Uyghur. Well, McKenzie's playing great. McKenzie is playing great. And, and I think at the end of tonight, because the sheet with Daryl tells a lot. It really does. And he made mention of he'd like to find a way for that third pair to give you two more minutes and the reason he needs two more minutes out of them is what does that do it takes some time away 
from the other two pairings, or maybe a player like Zadorov, who has played more than 20 times of 20 or more minutes. But do I think when the minutes get higher for everybody that it's better? No, I don't. In fact, it's the opposite. It's like at the end of the night too, Logan, when I take a look at the sheet for forwards. There there are minutes there that really the nights where this team is at its best, the minutes reflect it. They may be a little different based on who's going that night or who isn't. So further to this, let's take a look at, you know, tonight. So this is a really strong team they're playing up the middle. Really strong, especially, you know, their top six. So in recent days and weeks, even though Kadri, I think, is really starting to play better, he still played the least in terms of minutes by a centerman for the last two or three games. So if you can get this team's makeup to give you three very balanced, effective lines, especially at home, to deal in particular with that top six, you give yourself a chance one of those groups falls off, that's a problem. It's a big problem. And I don't mm-hmm. want to take anything away either from L.A.'s full group of 12. But I keep pointing back to, in, in many ways, the one trio because that's a trio at home that you're going to look for some real advantageous situations. You know, you know Lindholm and... Michael Backlund are going to see a lot of Kopitar and Deneau's line. You know that. So games like tonight, it's a lot like the playoffs. They, a lot of those games are won in the bottom part. And how encouraged is everybody by Walker Dewar? Milan Lucic has played well since a couple of nights off. Trevor Lewis is just, again, Trevor Lewis just gives you those 10 to 13 minutes every night, and there's very little in terms of what he brings and what he doesn't bring every night. So that's the matchups on both sides, the minutes, the minutes are important, but tonight for me, a real huge focus again is on defense because they did not handle this group well at all, at all. They didn't make plays and that's not just on the defense. It's about support from your forwards They got through the middle of the ice in that game real well for about five minutes. And then it was nighty-night. Yeah, that's all it took last week. We'll see if the Flames uh, have a better game plan, better execution against the Kings team tonight coming in as one of the hottest teams in the month of March and one of the hottest teams uh, in the NHL since the All-Star break. Lou, always appreciate the time, sir. Have yourself a great afternoon. We will see you down at the Dome a little bit later tonight, hey? Okay, you as well. Take care, everybody. There you go. Peter Labardi is the color voice of the Calgary Flames, joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. He does so every single day to kick off Sportsnet today. Thanks to our friends at the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows that your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. They're now offering air miles, reward miles. You can visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. Coming up next, let's talk about one of the other 
hottest teams in the league since March. Um, it's not a team that you would expect, and it's a team that's going against the tank for Connor Bedard narrative that's been around them for most of the season. We'll check in with Sportsnet 650's Big Nazar next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It is a Calgary Flames game day here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Last of three on this homestand, Flames and Kings. Flames looking for some revenge after that 8-2 loss in L.A. last Monday. Jacob Markstrom gets the starting goal. No lineup changes expected for the Flames coming off of that win Saturday against the Sharks. Matthew Coronado did join the team for morning skate, but will not play tonight. Kings will go with former Columbus Blue Jackets goaltender Jonas Corposalo in net. 6 o'clock, Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg and Pete Labardius. 7 o'clock, puck drop with Lou and Derek Wills. Right here on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It is Tuesday, which means it's time for our uh, regular chat down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline with our pal Bick Nazar from Sportsnet 650, Canucks Post Game, The People Show, a little bit of everything uh, over with our sister station in Vancouver. Uh, we check in with Bick down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Bick, how's it going today, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great, man. Uh, it was funny seeing this uh, come out today and a couple of different places have done their uh, top teams in the last month as we wind down the month of March this week. And uh, surprise, surprise, uh, among those teams, the Vancouver Canucks, who have uh, found out that Brother. good goaltending and uh, strong defensive play can, in fact, help you win hockey games. Um, I, I guess just start with what we've seen the last couple of months here, for, or I guess the last month or so, I should say, uh, from the Vancouver Canucks that's led to this strong record and their good record of late. Yeah, and I think the first thing everyone jumps to here locally is, well, the strength of schedule has helped. And you know, even Bruce made a couple of comments on his way out of saying, hey, the timing of this is uh, rather peculiar because they're getting ready to play Chicago and Columbus and whatnot. Uh, but here, like in this month, yeah, like there's been an Anaheim game. There's been a Arizona game. Two Actually, two Anaheim games, a San Jose game in there. They just played Chicago on Sunday. So it's... It's worth mentioning the strength of schedule, uh, but look, you, you mentioned it. It's, it's goaltending and it's defense has improved. Thatcher Demko comes back at the end of February, and suddenly the Canucks are getting over 920 save percentage, uh, especially on the penalty kill. I think it's 921 uh, on the penalty kill, which has been historically bad, and they're finally above uh, 70% here and uh, on the season. But the, the, the big thing for me, and we we're talking about it on the show last night, I was filling in on Canuck Central, is you go back to last year, and in the 57 games Bruce Brujo coached, you know, 28% of those games they gave up three or more goals at five on five. And in the stretch Bruce had this year, that number goes up to 43%. And talk it now, so far this year, he's done it 10 times where they've given up ten or more, or, uh, three or more goals. So it's a little bit of a decrease, but you look at the underlying numbers and the expected goals and the high danger chances, like there's like a 15% gap between where Bruce was and where Talkett is right now. So it's it's rather sizable. And to be honest, I think he's doing it with the worst team as well, considering some of the trades that have happened. Mm. And you can compare what Bruce did last year to what Talkett is doing right now. And 
the, the, the peak of Bruce's success, there is a gap between how many of the games are giving up all these chances to what uh, Rick Tocca is doing now. How much of this is trying to believe what's real and what's not with this Canucks group right now? And what I mean by that is how much of this can you see carrying over to next season, Bick, or is that even a conversation worth having at this point, knowing how much can change in an off season? Welcome to the daily conversational pretzel <laughs> in Vancouver right now. Honestly, forget even worth having we've had it so many times i don't know if it's worth having again it is the daily conversation right now because people don't want to do it it's mm-hmm. i've said I've, I've said i'm willing to step into the trap right i'll be the first one like someone's got to be in for everyone to be all in um i'll be the first one because you know even last year in the 57 games near the end of it you know they were playing a lot of backup goalies i think 40 percent of it was against backup goalies you didn't really feel like you got honest efforts from a lot of teams. There was a lot of teams that came in, played 20 minutes, and kind of got two points. But also, th- there were nights where teams took the Vancouver Canucks lightly because you could get an easy night in the Vancouver Canucks and still get a win last year. And even you know Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford at the end of the season were, were, were commenting about how goaltending bailed them out a lot of nights. And Patrick Demko was spectacular last year, and he's once again fantastic upon returning from injury. So there's a lot of trepidation from fans to say, hey, like, I, I've seen this movie before, and I get it. I, I don't have an answer for them outside of, well, I guess we'll see in October. For me, it's always been, like, last year, the vibes from where they were for after the Benning and Green stuff, like, the vibes had to improve, and Bruce did exactly that. He, he got Elias Pedersen's mojo back, and Bruce deserves a lot of credit for, for stuff like that, and getting JT Miller to the next level. Bruce deserves a lot of credit for fixing the stars. And the thing was, though, if you wanted to push this forward, I don't know if he was the guy to be able to do that. And the the vibes over a summer can absolutely go away. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like he, I, I lose motivation trying to work out every <laughs> January 19th, right? Like, yeah. that's what happens. You can't just rely on motivation all the time. You need strategy. You need tactics and then infuse confidence into it. And so they came back in the summer, uh, after the summer, and you know Bruce wasn't signed. There was all that hoopla. Horvat wasn't signed. There was, there, there was a lot of instability and reasons for things to fall. That confidence can fall by the wayside real fast, and we saw what happened in the first seven games. And I don't think there was any recovery. And going into this summer, you know, Rick Tockett's been very focused on the conditioning of players has to improve. We want to be you know, hands-on in our development process of where these guys go in the summer. So I, I don't think this is just relying on confidence and vibes anymore. They've obviously been proving uh, defensively and with better structure, as I just kind of pointed out. So I think the, the tactical stuff can carry over to next year. And then, look, like this still comes down to results. You can have the best plan. You can have the worst plan. It still depends on execution. It still depends on uh, results. And if they start next season, I, I'm going to say at least 500. If they start next season at least 500, then I think you'll get that buy-in all over again, and suddenly this maybe becomes a bit more real. You mentioned him there, and I kind of look at him as the poster boy for this conversation, Bick, because post-trade deadline, I would have told you, at least from an outside perspective looking in, I would feel pretty confident that JT Miller would at least be a name thrown out there again this summer by the Vancouver Canucks. But now here we are, we're looking at good JT Miller with the Vancouver Canucks again. And it's kind of the same story as the team right now, right? How much of 
of what you've seen these last couple of weeks with JT Miller feels real enough to make you think, okay, we can head into next season with him back in the Vancouver Canucks lineup. Yeah, and you know, Sat and I discussed this a lot in the post game show, especially early on in the season. You go back to that game one. Um, it did look like he picked up an injury on an Evander Kane goal, and a lot of focus on that play went to uh, Evander Kane high-sticking Quinn Hughes, but early in the play, JT's kind of wincing. So I do wonder how much of the season maybe there was a injury, um, but he's played through most of it, and he only just missed a, a couple of games or one game uh, when he was labeled week-to-week. And here recently, like we've seen the best version of JT, not just from a point production standpoint, where it's been 11 points in six, which is always fantastic. And even going back, he's really picked it up at 19 points in 12 games. But you see a far more responsible player, like a, a functionally responsible player, not not just a meet a baseline and then we'll enjoy the offense. We're, we're talking like someone that's, A, like throwing hits, being physical, tenacious on the puck. He, when he's, singularly focused on like, Hey, I want to go get this puck, man. There's, it's actually a lot of fun to watch. He can freelance a little bit, but he freelances and wins the puck. So it's fine. And he's got a certain level of desire at times that you see, and it's, it's infectious. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people have been pointing out is, you know, body language matters when it comes to JT because you're a point producer, because you're viewed as a bit of a leader. So when you're a bit demonstrative, it kind of seeps through everything else. And when you see him right now playing as focused as he is, I can understand why, you know, the team is suddenly playing a lot better because guys see the amount of commitment he's putting forward. I'm look, I'm a firm believer in JT Miller's talent, right? Mm -hmm. Do I think there's elements that you need to massage? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, that's for a lot of players. And I I do think the juice is worth the squeeze. And obviously so far, Rick talking has done a great job in it. What happens this summer again is going to be central to the progress this team makes, but you know, going back last summer, I was pro the idea of hanging on to Miller over Horvat. I've seen nothing to sway my decision here recently, obviously, because with uh, JT just flying right now uh, in this new environment with Rick Tockett. Uh, we've talked about it a couple times on our hits together, Bick, uh, since the trade went down. It was a big acquisition for the Vancouver Canucks. We've now seen three games so far of uh, Philip Ronick in the blue and green of the Vancouver Canucks. Your initial Thoughts on him since coming over from Detroit and now being healthy enough to jump into the lineup? Subtle and solid is the terms we've been using. It is refreshing to see another uh, top four D-man just enter into uh, the Canucks fold here. It, it's the, the thing we were talking about, and, and the team has had success here, obviously, the last six weeks, and a lot of fans are thinking, hey, why'd they go make a trade? Like, there's certain guys playing higher in the lineup, and they have the depth in the organization. And the point a lot of us made was, hey, when you see this guy arrive, you'll, you'll remember what a top four demon looks like. And that's exactly what's happened. You know, he's so fluid with the puck. He makes such quick decisions that the puck doesn't hang out on a stick very long. We have access to some puck tracking data. And Quinn Hughes notoriously dominates the puck tracking, uh, puck possession every um, game, where it's like over two minutes is on the stick. Philip Ronick has come in and is being just as effective as moving the puck forward in about half the time as Quinn Hughes. So he holds it on the stick for about a minute uh, a game through three games here. And he, he, he activates at the right times. He's standing up the blue line at the right times. So he's not overcommitting on pinches. He has just fit in seamlessly. And the thing that I've really liked is, even outside of his own individual performances, because cause that we still need a larger sample size for me, but everyone else has feel like they, they're just slotted in a better spot. Ethan Bear's playing better. Tyler Myers has played better. The depth guys that are filled in are playing better. 
And it just, it's one of those funny things that, you know, Tyler Myers isn't being asked to be a number two D-man anymore. Now he can slide down and be a three, four. And ultimately you probably want him to be a four or five, but everyone else just looks like they're settled a bit more with another established player uh, in this, in this blue line and Quinn Hughes and Hronick, they haven't played together a lot. I think it's like seven minutes through three games. And one of them is always on the ice and things just look settled again. I uh, wanted to uh, ask you about the season so far, uh, a really big bright spot that I don't know is getting enough attention outside of Vancouver, especially since the extension got done so quickly. But how cool is it to see what uh, Andre Kuzmenko has become for the Vancouver Canucks and that relationship that he's blossoming so far with Elias Pettersson? He's the, uh, the, the, the beacon of hope for a lot of people. <laughs> Not that it's like, hey, hey this is going to be the guy that brings us the Stanley Cups or anything like that. But look, in a season that can get pretty downtrodden, uh, you want to put a smile on your face, just go look up Andre Kuzmenko highlights or go look up Andre Kuzmenko reading the starting lineup or go look up Andre Kuzmenko interacting with his teammates and mic'd ups because he's stealing the show every single time. It's such an enjoyable personality. And I, like, I think you kind of need that. Just someone that's not going to get uh, down at any point. I, I just think his personality is upbeat bubbly all the time he looks thrilled to be playing in the nhl and i, I we, we get to see him you know walk into the rink obviously and you see the the tv footage like he never comes in like oh here we go like a, a rainy tuesday in vancouver and we're playing the columbus blue jack no he's always got the sunny disposition and i think in, in a like we all take this so seriously and these are these guys as professions even in your office and our office like you need one person that's Hey guys, like let's go do it today. And I think Andre Kuzmenko is that guy for the fans. He's kind of become that guy. And uh, a great signing too. He's, he's really worked out well offensively. Just continues to put up good numbers. And uh, funny, it seems so long ago we were having the debate of whether or not you could re-sign this guy. Did it make sense to bring him back? And you know now he's on the verge of, of forty goals. I don't know if he'll get there in the last ten games or not, but. I mean, as far as outside signings coming in and giving your team value. And he's been good under both coaches, right? I think that's something I got. I heard pointed out to me uh, on Twitter is you're always curious how that's changed for guys. Um, but whether it was Bruce or whether it's been Rick, it seems like Kuzmenko has been a good fit for both guys. And, and Rick Tockett's been very hard on him. I mean, Bruce was too, but Rick has limited minutes at times. Even here recently, you know, didn't have a good game. And so down the line up you go and – Away go your minutes. And he's responded to every one of these challenges well. Like, this is, and it's not even an effort thing. Like, you know, I'm sure in your market too, in our market, like, there's been flashy players that arrive that want to play a certain way and get coached hard and they get dispirited and they just stop trying. It, this isn't happening with Andre Kuzmenko. A, he brings it with effort, but B, he's very coachable. And all these points that Rick Tockett has said publicly, let alone what's happened privately, Anything that Rick Tockett said publicly, Andre Kuzmenko has responded with and adapted into his game. That's the thing that impresses me most is the week-to-week progress. This isn't the guy that's just sitting around the net and tapping, tapping. Like, he is working on his game. He has been noted that he needed to get uh, – his conditioning needed to be a bit higher. In the season, we have seen that progress happen. And so I'm excited for what other summer looks like for Andre Kuzmenko because this, this isn't some 22-year-old guy who, you know, body's still developing. I, I think next season, we'll, I don't think we'll see, like, the sophomore uh, slump because he's a lot older. He's, he knows what the rigors of a professional season 
looks like is spending time in the KHL. Now you get your NHL feet wet and put some work in in the summer. I, I think you're going to get an equal uh, Andre Kuzmenko next year. Uh, on the Outspeech and Sports Bar guest hotline right now with Bick Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, our regular Tuesday chat with Bick. And uh, some side news to everything going on uh, around the hockey world last uh, couple days here, Bick. And that's that our colleague uh, John Garrett uh, has announced that this will be his final season uh, calling Canucks games. And you're a lot closer to it, obviously, than we are here in Calgary. But I know there's a strong appreciation uh, just about anywhere that's that's listened and had the privilege to hear John call games uh, in the Vancouver market the last couple of years. Talk to me a bit about you know your fascinating your approach to to your relationship with John, and I guess just sort of what the reaction's been like because I know it's caught a lot of people off guard that were disappointed uh, they wouldn't hear him on those broadcasts anymore next season. Man, I I thought I was only going to talk uh, hockey on the show today. I didn't realize I was going to cry talking about uh, John Garrett <laughs> right now. Uh, look, man. Um, I so I'll I'll paint the, the the picture here. So we we were doing our intermissions on radio and you know TV's you know 20 feet away from us. And I we finished yeah. ours and I step out and they're doing the you know it's usually Shorty and Teach as I walk out and they're do, filming their part. And I look and Shorty's standing and I can see the lights on. So I poke my head around the corner around the backdrop and uh, there's Teach doing this one shot. And I think well that's kind of interesting. And I can't hear it quite because they're you know about 10 feet away. And I kind of just like look around and everyone's watching Cheech and I think, what's going on? So I quickly take a picture and then suddenly someone from behind me says, he's retiring right now. I was like, what? Again, I'm a big believer in observing other people and seeing how to be. And, you know, one thing I've, I've learned over five, six years working at Rogers Arena is nobody treated other people better than John Garrett. You know, constantly welcoming, constantly chatting with people, constantly wanting to be, you know, part of their lives as as much as you can. And, you know, the, the way Cheat was uh, with, with everyone, like not just media members, like fans in the in the halls, whatever. He was always so welcoming. And it, it look, it, it's a big deal uh, for a lot of people here in Vancouver. It's been, you know, decades that they've been watching, watching him. And, you know, the authenticity that he displays to everyone that I've seen personally at Rogers Arena bleeds through the screen. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of people are, are devastated because that be, to be able to make that connection with someone through the screen, through the radio, whatever, it's, it's such a difficult trait. Like, it's something I aspire to have as a broadcaster. I'm sure you do. Um, to, to, to feel like fans understand who you are. And Cheech has been the sweetest, the kindest guy to so many people. And it, it, it's going to be different uh, next season and moving forward. Yeah, it was just such a, a heartfelt goodbye. And it was so out of nowhere. I'm, I'm sure like a lot of people, I got Elliot's uh, tweet notification come through on my phone. And I, I almost couldn't believe it when I jumped on there. And I saw, I was actually right beside Eric Francis. We were just getting ready for uh, Daryl Sutter's post-game news conference. And I showed my phone to Eric Francis. He goes, no way, Cheech. That's, like, you, no one saw it coming, and why would you? Because it's one of those things where it's going so great, you never think about it ending. You don't want to think of it ending. It's been such a great ride, but you totally understand you want to spend more time with family. We know, and you know, Bick, you know, sometimes you spend a lot of hours at the rink and doing other things, and John's done it for so long, you can't uh, sometimes wait to get home and, and be with family, but it's just such a big loss for everybody that we won't get to hear him. Uh, doing those games, and it kind of makes you appreciate these last 10 down the road here as you get to hear them for the last time. I, I hope everyone enjoys these, uh, you know, 10 games on Canucks broadcast. Again, uh, misspoke a little bit earlier saying he's retiring. He'll still be around doing projects for, for sports next year, but certainly on the Canucks games, uh, it, it's going to be different.
Uh, quickly, before we let you go, we always like to dive into some NFL topics. It's been quiet. We're getting closer to the draft here uh, in just a couple of weeks' time. But uh, do you understand exactly or have a good thought on why the Baltimore Ravens are taking such a hard stance with Lamar Jackson? He came out yesterday and said, look, uh, I requested a trade at the beginning of March. They haven't uh, fulfilled that yet. I'd like to move on and, and find somewhere else to go in my career, but that hasn't happened as of yet, what do you make of that whole Baltimore Lamar Jackson situation now? I like this is like Mad Libs off season now because he like there was a story of some random personal trainer trying to negotiate on his behalf, Ken Francis or whatever his name was, and then there's you know Meek Mill texting Robert Kraft. It's like, <laughs> hey, Lamar wants to play for the Patriots. None of this makes sense anymore. No. I'm I'm done figuring out how this is going to end. Someone just put ink to paper and save us all from whatever this is, please. Because uh, I, I don't even really believe the, the trade request to some degree from Lamar, just because I think it's another leverage point that you think you can try to create to try to accelerate contract conversations. So if, if he wants out, look, I, I'm pro pro player empowerment and player mobility, all that sort of stuff. He wants his money and he wants it a certain way. Hey man, like if you can get it, get it. And he's trying to force a trade. Cool. Um, but to me, like this is all just teams just jockeying for leverage right now. And the Ravens got the ability to kind of just sit back and say, Hey, if someone wants to give you a fully guaranteed contract, we want to see it. And we're willing to match. And Lamar has got to try to do this. And the thing is, I like, Somebody should be jumping at the chance to do this. Somebody should be jumping at the chance. Like Indianapolis, mm. what is your plan? Washington, what is your plan? Uh, Atlanta, like, are you going with Desmond Ritter? Is that the plan? There, there are multiple teams that should say, hey, we'll be the ones to take on a 26-year-old MVP. It shouldn't be that difficult of a conversation. No, I'm right there with you. I can't, I can't quite understand what the, the meaning is behind all of it. I'm with you as well in the fact that I hope it's uh, settled long before uh, the beginning of the season because I'm already we're under the draft and I'm I'm really sick of talking about it and who knows maybe once we uh, get some quarterback needy teams off with uh, with draft picks maybe we'll see a resolution to this but as of right now it's just kind of uh, running stale for me. Big thanks for the time as always, man. Uh, apologies with the technical stuff, but uh, always appreciate your time, man. We'll chat with you again next week, eh? See ya. Take care, Big Nazar Sports at six fifty. Uh, our sister station in Vancouver joining us for our Tuesday chat down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, all things Canucks, a little bit of NFL mixed in there, of course. Uh, if you missed it, the Vancouver Canucks one of the hottest teams in the NHL since March, uh, which Flames fans won't be mad about because winning at this point of the year, uh, too little too late if you're the Vancouver Canucks. You're just ruining your chance at, at Connor Bedard. And as we heard from Bick there, it just raises a lot of questions as to what in the hell is this team? Like, who who are you guys? Are you actually this team that's strong defensively, providing your goaltenders with legitimate help? Or come September and October, are you a completely different looking group when we, you know, start this over again and the game start to mean something for the Canucks again? It's a it's a tough mystery to solve, but we'll see exactly what it means. Flames and Canucks actually meeting up later this week for a Friday night matchup in Vancouver, so we get a first hand look at the Canucks later this week. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Hour two kicking off, we'll have some Flames audio after a morning skate, including head coach Daryl Sutter, newest Flame Matthew Coronado, and more. Plus, we'll take a look at the out-of-town scoreboard, what games you need to pay attention to when it comes to the playoff races in the Eastern and Western Conference. That's coming up a bit uh, later here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.